Good morning. This is Talking Animals. I'm Duncan Strauss. My guest today is Alan Havey, the accomplished comedian and actor, best known at the moment as Lou Avery on Mad Men. He's also a longtime animal advocate, speaking on their behalf, performing any number of benefits for animal organizations and causes. And he sits on the board of directors of Friends of Shelter Animals. We'll discuss all this and more in advance of Mad Men's mid-season finale this Sunday. I speak with Alan Havey in a few moments here. Talking Animals. Also towards the end of the program is the prize for Name That Animal Tune. We'll give away a copy of The Cautionary Tales of Mark Oliver Everett, the new Eels album. We were offering last week, but things got squeezed for time and we may have given it short shrift. Not this week, Buster. Right now, let's uh, hear an animal song to kick things off. This is Iron and Wine with Serpent Charmer on Talking Animals.
That was Serpent Charmer by Iron and Wine. Let's move now right into our chat with Alan with a reminder that we invite you to join the conversation by calling 813-239-9663, emailing us at dj at wmnf.org, or texting us at 813-433-0885. Let's welcome Alan Havey to Talking Animals. Good morning, Alan. Morning, Duncan. How are you? I'm great, and I appreciate you getting up at rather early hour out there in Santa Monica. It's uh, like morning radio, but there's no cool uh, stand-up gig attached to it. Hey, that's okay. That means I go right back to bed. <laughs> All right. I, li- I like the morning zoo thing. That's cool. Yeah. Uh, well, I think the la- one of the last times we saw each other was in uh, Austin. I got up early, and I heard uh, the radio and a like 300 people there. Oh, yeah. Yeah, there was yeah. a live... Uh, was that Bob and Tom or no? Yeah, that scared... The, I remember, okay, I got to get up at 5, do radio, then I go back to bed. And we're listening, and I hear this crowd. I go, what is going on? What are 300 people doing live at the radio stage? Well, uh, that's 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 excitement. That's pure excitement for Alan Havey, which we share. No, no, actually, what's exciting is getting out of bed and just walking down the hall. So much more exciting. All right, well, I'm glad it's handier for you. So, uh, yeah, we've known each other for, I guess, more than 25 years, yet we've never discussed animals. So given the nature of the show, I was thinking we'd start there. Personally, I don't like them. How about you? Are you kidding me? Yeah, yes, I, I am. Animals. Yeah. So when did animals become important to you? Did, did you grow up in a household uh, with animals? Were animals uh, important from, from childhood on? or We had uh, cats at the beginning, but then we got a dog, I guess, when I was like eight, seven, eight, a dachshund named Peanuts. My dad brought it home, and we just fell in love with it and uh, loved this dog. We had dogs in the neighborhood. This is back in Miami growing up, but dogs weren't on leashes couldn't run out of their yard. You had uh, to pedal by yard quick. Sometimes I'd cut through yards, got bit by a Weimariner once. Right on the leg, still have the scars. That could, that could make a guy anti-dog, uh, but apparently not in your case. Weimariners after that, it was a little uh, tough, but uh, I could, it was my fault. You know, and I lived in down in Miami, so there was always fishing, snakes, uh, well, squirrels, of course, but beavers or not beavers. What were those things? Like moles? Uh, there was, well, there was raccoons. Around, probably right? raccoons. Maybe yeah, some possum. Rac- raccoons. Yeah, possum. Uh, Miami always roadkill. <laughs> and uh, the show has taken a dramatic turn already. That's great. Well, you know, but, I mean, you. I was where in in Miami waters. I remember one time we took a vacation in Florida, and we're playing this like this big rubber ball with my little sister Mary. And a wild boar came out of the bushes. It was like one of those places on the side of the road where you stop, grabbed the ball, and started running into the bushes and just ran away. It was, it was pretty exciting. Yeah. Well, that that's the opportunity that wild boar has been waiting for for some time. To, yeah, uh, just to get a ball. Yeah. My dad running after it, trying to grab its tail. It was insane. But I had a friend, uh, Steve Burke, who lived in the neighborhood. He had his dad had horses out in Davy Floor. We'd ride those. So I've always been around animals, and, and usually pretty comfortable with animals. And and did did you early on, you know, sort of feel a, a, a kinship that that you just really liked them and, and felt like you wanted to sort of help them or or? Uh... Well, my dog, I did. Yeah. And other uh, dogs and cats, I liked them, but I never felt like a spiritual connection. At times I did with my dog, you know, because uh, he was around a lot and he was uh, he was quite a character, you know. Peanuts? Peanuts. Yeah. And uh, so that was fun. But then, you know, as I got older and uh, moved to New York, I, I didn't have any pets. Didn't have any pets for years. 
Right. Well, I was going to ask you about that because I felt like at least early on, sort of the stand-up road life isn't really conducive to uh, to living with uh, animals. So I was wondering uh, how that how that figured. Not conducive to living with people. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's a whole other radio show, which we'll get to. Why? But, I thought let's do that one. Okay. All right. Let's put this one on hold. <laughs> but uh, so so when you kind of what started touring less, doing the road a bit less. When when did it sort of become more practical to kind of return to your uh, well, your animal love. I moved out here in 95, started living with my girlfriend, Susan, just about 10 years ago. And we, we lived in buildings with no pets. And this cat named Moochie, we call him that, Micho, he lived next door, started crawling up the tree outside our balcony and coming into our apartment. And we called him a love kitty because he lived next door, not in, in the apartment building next door. This is in Santa Monica. And so we'd see him and he'd come run out and flop over on the grass for a belly rub. Uh, belly rub and we called him the love kitty. And then one day when I was in the room, Susie called me and goes, uh, guess who came into the apartment? I go, I said, well, she goes, the love kitty. What are you talking about? They came up the tree. We had this beautiful, it's called a Persian oak out, outside of our uh, balcony. Very rare tree here in Santa Monica, anywhere. And uh, so we took him back. He belonged to these two little girls, and they had two black cats. And one of them was this cat, Micho, which is Egyptian. It's an Egyptian queen or king or something. And uh, so they let us keep the cat. So this cat has been with us now for nine, ten years. And he goes around to the other apartments in buildings sometimes, and he, he has... People around the neighborhood he visits, but he's basically, this is a base camp here for him. So he's kind of adopted you, but he's still roaming around looking for uh, open other offers, apparently. Well, he goes there for meals and a little love, but he comes back here. And, of course, we take him to the vet. We make sure he's healthy. And everyone in the neighborhood knows him. You know, I mean, and at night, now dig this. This is kind of weird. He's an outdoor cat. We leave the balcony door a little bit open. We can walk it open so we can get in and out when he wants. Sometimes I'll walk outside and empty the garbage bag in the alley. You know, come with me. And then he'll walk around the block with us. And he'll go in and out of bushes and play and stuff or, or hide. We'll just, and then he'll come back in the house. There's no leash, no cat leash. I just kind of walk around the block with us. Wow, that's cool. Yeah, we many years ago, we had a cat like that. that I mean, it's so rare, but uh, it's, it's cool when it happens because you think, is he really going to keep going? And, and, they, and they do in that case. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and this is the per- first pet I've had since college. I had a dog named Scamp when I was in college back in Miami. And so this is the first, I guess, in 20 years, 78, 98, yeah, mm, no, over 23 years that I've had. And has it prompted uh, you guys to uh, say, hey, uh, maybe uh, we'll expand our uh, our cat to empire beyond our, our roving moochie friend? Yeah, I th- you know what, uh, eventually, I mean, here's the dream, man, like... Uh, in, man, I don't know, three or four years, we'd move up to Ojai, get a place with a little land or somewhere mm. in central California, and get a, like a, you know, a place with land and have dogs and cats. And uh, you've heard of the place Cat House on the Kings? Is that the place that's totally devoted to just cats and a few dogs? She has like 400 cats. Yeah, yeah. Uh, or our friend uh, Jack Perez and his wife Valerie, he's a film director and he has gone up there and shot videos. Uh, for this cat house in the Kings. And my wife and I, uh, along with uh, Jack and Valerie, started Friends of Shelter Animals. Uh, I was on the road. Jack was working. Uh, the ladies got together one night and said, well, how can we help animals? And there's plenty of adoption places. And we didn't really have the time to run a full-time nonprofit. But what we do is we help out uh, uh, county shelters who don't, who are underfunded. And we go in, we donate blankets and give them toys or any kind of equipment necessary 
to make the animals feel less stressful and more adoptable. And we make about six to eight drops a year. We, we've already given thousands of blankets and like hundreds and hundreds of toys and all kinds of equipment. And, you know, we take donations. We don't need that much a year to, to make these little deliveries. And that way we can still, like, have our lives. We can do this. We had a benefit like a year and a half ago. We'll probably have another one maybe now, depending on the funds we get. And every single cent goes into uh, purchasing stuff for these animals. That's so great, Alan. Yeah, of course, I was going to ask you about that uh, at some point, but we're, we're into it now. And on this show, we talk not infrequently. Did I rush this interview? No! I, I think you're just trying to get back to bed. I'm, 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 I'm not trying to take it personally. I think I'm you're an just, alpha comedian. I like it. Yeah, well, I know. I'm just trying to get out of the way now. But, uh, so, I just want to get back to bed. That's all I want. I understand. I cannot blame you. <laughs> so, um, but, uh, but we do talk a lot on this show, perhaps not surprisingly, about county and municipal animal facilities and, and adoption, no kill or not no kill uh, last week. But uh, but even with a huge battalion of volunteers, those places are just so typically at least lacking manpower or women power. They're underfinanced. They're lacking resources. So it sounds like Friends of An- uh, Shelter Animals sort of seeks to, to, to sort of plug some of those holes, supplement some of those services, round out some of those resources. Is that kind of the, the chief mission as you guys have conceived it absolutely yeah you know, it's mostly for the animals i mean uh, i haven't volunteered and gone and like worked today yet um i would uh we but see i live in santa monica and the animal shelter here is no kill and one time moochie got lost and they took him they took him to the shelter where's moochie we go online there he is uh they had a picture of him <laughs> they had his name up <laughs> we went to pick him up it's like the four seasons for animals well, that's that's really rare then, yeah. But uh, but 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 this Moochie is definitely a roving uh, guy. He gets around, man. Oh yeah, yeah. He's he really is magical. He brings. I mean, he brings. He's brought home uh, uh, mice and a few birds uh, a couple times, like baby possums. Who my wife thought, hey, they're dead. I go, no, they're possums. And the possum would get up and run around the house. He's done that twice. Hence the phrase "playing possum." Yes. Yeah. Yeah. See, you, you knew that from your Florida days, I yeah, think. Absolutely. That. I, I knew it from watching cartoons. <laughs> yeah. However you get your knowledge, I think that's uh, the main thing is that you knew that he was playing possum. Yeah. I think our generation, too, has this thing about animals, too, growing up watching the Disney movies, watching uh, certainly the Disney cartoons, all the cartoons. And, you know, when I grew up in the 60s, all the Hanna-Barbera, the Quick Draw, McGraw, Huckleberry Harum, these are all kind of like primetime shows for kids. And Looney Tunes. Let's not forget Looney Tunes. Uh, I haven't forgotten it, but, you know, oh. it's, uh, it's 6.22 in the morning, my time. <laughs> okay. All right, still. Uh, and uh, I just, I'm like, I always just thought animals were fun. I, you know, I went to this aquarium a lot when I was a kid and watched the dolphins, you know, jump and all that stuff. And now uh, I realize, uh, you know, I don't like animals being used for entertainment purposes. Because when you see an animal, when you go out whale watching or you see a deer, or you watch uh, even something simple, like a squirrel eating a nut. You get plenty of entertainment just watching animals, their natural habitat. Doing what they do. Yeah. 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 And, and, and with that in mind, Alan, did you uh, see blackfish? No. Okay. I haven't seen blackfish All right. yet. I try, you know, I haven't seen, I hate to see films, I mean, I'm aware of it, of, uh, of any animals being harmed. You know, I stopped fishing about 12 years ago. I went with my 
You know, we'd go fishing on Florida, and we ate the fish. You know, I never was a hunter, thank God. Uh, I really, I mean, I have great respect for guns. I learned how to shoot pistols and stuff, you know, because I'm an actor. So I, when I was very, very young, my brother, who collects guns, doesn't, sh- he only target shoots like that. I, my brother and I went fishing. We had a great time. This is like 12 years ago, uh, up uh, in uh, in Canada, uh, off the west coast of Canada, Queen Charlotte Islands. I caught a, several salmon, canned them, ate them. And that was it for me. I really enjoyed it. I said, I don't need to do this. I don't need to pull, you know, animals out of their environment and eat them. Well, know? it's so interesting uh, that, that how people sort of come to realizations. Because, again, you grow up in Florida. You fish all the time. I mean, that's kind of, that's what you do. But eventually, sometimes, yeah, you have uh, occasion to, to sort of look differently or, or reassess some of those things and say, hey, you know what? That's, uh, that's not for me after all. So. You step on a roach. It's no big deal. And now my wife, Susie, God bless her, if there's a moth in the house, she'll get a piece of paper and she'll, you know, you know, trap it or in a, like a cup, a plastic cup. Yeah. Cover her hand over it and release it. Yeah. My, now my brother and my sister-in-law come from Atlanta, and she's old country, you know. They, they have guns in the house. You yeah. You know, if a critter threatens they, them. they have guns in the house strictly for the moth, probably, right? <laughs> no. Yeah. No, okay. They're they're great people, but my sister-in-law saw that. She goes, "Oh my god!" I said, "Yeah." Because he's into that. You know, a few times I would, you know, kill a, even a roach. I go, "Wait a minute! I can get this spider out of here." Uh, roaches, you know, like in your sink, are one thing, but we have uh, squirrels outside. We've had raccoons come up our tree outside our balcony. We've had other cats come in. So it's it's kind of nice. We I mean we see a lot of uh, porpoise outside uh, in Santa Monica Bay. Saw a baby shark one time swimming away. So there's 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 life around here. And as I get older and uh, a little bit nicer, I think, <laughs> and more aware of the fragility of life for everything, every living creature. I'm not a I'm not a vegan. My wife uh, is. She occasionally has uh, some fish. She's more vegetarian. She'll occasionally have a wild caught salmon. Uh, I still am a meat eater. I'm not sometimes really not happy about that. I think my awareness. What well, What about you? You eat uh, uh, vegan. I've sort of toggled between vegan and vegetarian, and uh, vegan uh, certainly uh, at the moment. Yeah. So. Well, I haven't seen you in a long time. Yeah. Well, uh, I have. That's what that, you know. I haven't been able to hand you out some of my leaflets. So that's. Um, Do you? Are you like? 120 pounds. You do yoga. No, I'm somehow like the one of the fattest vegans on, on record. <laughs> so it doesn't doesn't quite add up that way for me. But I know uh, a couple of heavy vegans. You well, know. we can do it if we work hard at it. That's right. You, you enough guacamole and ice cream. <laughs> That's right. That's the key. This is talking animals. If you just tuned in, my guest is Alan Havy, the comedian and actor who portrays Lou Avery on Mad Men, which on Sunday reaches its mid-season finale. If you'd like to ask Alan a question or offer a comment, please call eight one three two three nine nine six six three or email DJ at WMNF, or you can text us at 813-433-0885. So, Alan, so along those lines, you've also done, I think, a number of uh, benefits, not not strictly for, for your own organization, Friends of Shelter Animals, but but for others, including, I think, Tony LaRusso's Animal Rescue Fund. Um, what, what's the criteria for agreeing uh, to, to do these? Just, hey, it's it's a good cause, and I'm available that night, I'm happy to do it, or is there more to it than that? Or No, you know what? It's uh, I've never turned down a benefit. For anything worthwhile, and it's and I think there was one thing somewhere about it was some political thing I forget what it was, and I was kind of I don't know enough about that I, I you know but anything for uh, you know comedians uh, that we both know have become ill they don't have health care yeah 
then comedians get together and say, hey, let's put on a show. It's really that simple. And so so as far as, because I think there's been at least a few that I've been aware of uh, for uh, for the Tony La Russa Animal Rescue Foundation, or ARF. So how did that come about? That Just that way, or do you have some sort of more direct connection to, to La Russa? It's a great story. First of all, I'm a St. Louis Cardinal fan. I was born in St. Louis, raised in Miami. So the Cardinals, I've been a big fan since I was 10 years old. And uh, this is, I was cast in Mad Men last season, season and I've been dying to get on the show. It's my favorite show. Oh, we'll get into that deeply in one second, sir. That's for sure. Okay. Yeah. So I go to the table read, and it's great. I see all the, all the cast members are there. We do the table read. And afterwards, John Ham comes over and goes, Hey, I'm a big fan. And Ham's from St. Louis. He used to watch the old Night After Night talk show I did back in the, the early 90s. So, and then John Slattery was there who plays Roger Sterling. He was on my show 22 years ago, remembered everything. I didn't think he would. So that was a great feeling. So I'm driving home. I get home, and on my voicemail is, uh, Hi, Al, this is Tony LaRussa. Uh, I do this thing in St. Louis every year. Mark Pitta gave me your number. And would you like to come out and do a benefit for us? We can't pay you, but we'll fly you out. It's for the, the Animal Rescue Foundation. And so I said yes, naturally. was able to fly back to St. Louis. had never performed there. My parents have since passed away. They're buried there. But all my cousins came out to the show, and it was great. Tony got me tickets for them, and we put on a great show. It was the day after Stan. It was the day of the show. It was the day the great Cardinal Stan Musial passed away. Oh wow, that must have given him uh, quite a bit of extra heft. Yeah, to, it was, to that. It was, yeah. and he's beloved in St. Louis, so it was a bittersweet day to do that. But I was able to do a benefit. And, you know, go back to my hometown, that town I was born in, and, and do stand up for the first time for a great cause, and then. The following January, I did another benefit up uh, in the Bay Area for uh, uh, ARF and got to see the facilities, and it's like it's like heaven animals. They, they go around to no-kill shelters, and Tony started this back in the 80s when he was coaching the A's, and a stray cat ran into the dugout. He called his wife said, find a no-kill shelter for this cat. There wasn't no-kill. There wasn't any. So they started this foundation then. This facility is amazing. They go around to the different shelters, find animals that they can grab who are on, you know, the short list or coming up on uh, being terminated. And they bring them in. They check them out. They have education uh, to deal with kids, to, you know, be friendly to animals. Uh, elderly people who have pets, it's like $10 a month, and they know when they die their pets are going to be taken care of. Yeah, it's really impressive. I... I uh... I actually was fortunate enough a few years ago on this show to, to, to speak with Tony. So it was kind of sort of an odd uh, adventure because, uh, for one thing, you know, it was live like we're doing. And uh, he wasn't anywhere to be found at the appointed hour. So that was a little tricky. And then I finally got him on the phone. And, you know, like today, we're inviting people to call in or email in if they'd like. So, and I don't screen the calls. So a woman calls in. LaRusa has a whole history here, right? It's like sort of. He's from Tampa. Right. His first, you know, family, which is, ties into the story. Uh, so, you know, I think we're going to talk about pets and all the cool things he's doing for animals and a woman calls in like really really mad and, and like not identifying herself but clearly like saying hey well uh, maybe uh, if you had uh, done as much for your uh, family 
as you're doing for these animals, things would be really different. It's like, holy cow, what did I get myself into, man? So anyway, it was a very odd uh, encounter. But, um, but yeah, yeah it's, who, it's, who knows about that? But Tony, yeah. what he's done for animals, how he loves yeah, animals. Yeah, it's really yeah. impressive. So, so, so obviously anytime there's something for ARF, uh, you, you sort of jump on that. Yeah, it's a no-brainer. I told him anytime, anywhere. I, you know, I just love it. I love animals. And you know what? With this cat coming into our lives, I, I've been talking about, yeah. our lives are so much better. You know, and my wife and I don't have children. And not that I'm not going to equate children with uh, pets, but people that don't have children or seniors who are alone in life or, you know, any anyone really. You get a cat, a dog, you care for that pet. It's like, it's magic. Well, know, even... Bring so much love into your life. Yeah, and even beyond that, it, it's pretty interesting because because uh, you know now there's sort of scientific studies and have been for a number of years that show the health benefits really for people who live with animals, specifically in some cases elderly, but others too, and just what it does uh, to heart and other things. And uh, it's pretty uh, it's pretty remarkable. But uh, but that's part of the magic of animals for sure. When Moody so. comes up on my desk and I'm working, he starts banging his head against me because he wants some attention. Yeah, they have a clear I, way of communicating. Yeah, I, I just think, come here, buddy. Let's let's lower our blood pressure together. <laughs> yeah. When you love and pet a cat, your blood pressure, the cat's blood pressure, the dog's is lowered. It's just healthy for both of you. For sure. No, it's really cool. It's uh, that's great. Well, I'm so I'm so glad that uh, this uh, this uh, Moochie has moved into your world, and it sounds like uh, uh, at least a few years from now, if not sooner, they'll be be widening out your animal family. So yeah, uh, I think. Animals are going to be in our lives uh, forever, you know. And and the only reason I didn't have an animal or pet in New York is it was the crazy travel thing so much too. Is it's an apartment, it's a small apartment. I I just I love to see animals run around the yard or uh, cats. Certainly, you can raise a dog well in a city, and if you care for it and stuff like like that. But if you go on the road, you either got to have someone come over and take care of it or board it, and just not, and the animals don't know how long you're going. They is, have no idea. Yeah, is, is this guy bailing, or is he coming back, and what's yeah. happening? And yeah, About yeah. oh, 15 years ago, I'm here in Santa Monica. I meet a couple friends, a couple comedians. Uh, they go to the movie, and we get out, and the guy says, well, I got to go. I said, well, he goes, well, my dog's in my truck. Well, what did you leave the dog on? It was at night, so it was cool. The windows were cracked. Well, he wanted to come. I said, he wanted to. I go, what? He wanted to come? This is when you tell your dog no. You're, you're staying at home. So they're all, I mean, listen, Santa Monica, people, a lot of people with animals, you know, if they don't do yoga, they have an animal. They don't have an animal, they do yoga, but most of them do both. And they're really nutty about their dogs in a good way, you know. Yeah, up to the point of, of bringing one and parking it in the, in the car while you guys are at the movies, but that might be a bit over the line. But uh, so, uh, well, let, let's switch gears a little bit because uh, I want to make sure we have time to, to talk about comedy and acting and other stuff. So, I guess no, about I, what's the name of the show? I'm talking animals, I regardless, for right? This feature act one in Wichita. This guy was an animal. There you go. I'm just kidding. I like it. <laughs> so, <laughs> I guess it was about over 25 years ago in a, in a profile I, I uh, wrote uh, on you for the LA Times when you'd already done a few Letterman's and had been on uh, HBO Young Comedian Special. And, you know, even then you were already a, an accomplished comedian. But you explained that comedy was never the goal or the driving passion that acting w- was always your, your focus and, and first love. And I remember being somewhat surprised by that, only because it was common then and now for comics to sort of aspire to acting gigs, but rare then and now, I guess, too, that, that to back those aspirations with actual 
acting training, but you had really studied acting, and, and that's kind of, you almost sort of, I think you described it back then, as you sort of backed into comedy. Somebody said, hey, you know, you're funny, you should try that. But that was never kind of the path, and yet you sort of turned the whole thing inside out by also being a hell of a comic. Well, growing up in Miami, kid, my dad would wake me to watch Carson when I was eight. So I watched comedians on Carson, and I like comedians, and I thought it'd be fun to be a comedian, but to me, the first thing was acting. Mm-hmm. I wanted to be an actor. That was just in my head, and not a very good student, didn't apply myself, because for other reasons I won't get into right now. But when I uh, get out of high school, uh, I went to Miami-Dade and became a theater major. When I, I, think, I think I was like 12 or 13 when I realized you could go to college and study theater. And that blew my mind. I go, oh, there's a place in the world for me. And that's all I wanted. I wanted to move to New York and be an actor. I really, the goal was to get on Broadway. That was like, you know, that golden end, not end, but, you know, that's what I want. That's what I aspire to. Studied theater, loved it. Went to, got my degree in Miami-Dade Community, went up to Florida State. I uh, was a theater major there for two years, worked with great people. And then after that, uh, went home uh, to Miami, saved a little money, and got some a little bit of courage together, and uh, moved to New York. You know, got a job waiting tables and then uh, bartending, and I lived in Hell's Kitchen, and I would walk by the improv. And I, it's like, and I always had a sense of humor. I was just a wise ass in school. I was picked for a play in kindergarten. I really got the, I think that's what really gave me the, uh, the bug. You know, in 1960, kindergarten uh, play, and seeing adults smile and laugh, which Really, back in those days, you were seen and not heard. So I got the bug. I went to New York, and I'd walk by the improv, and i go, it was kind of like walking by, uh, like Liberace walking by a gay club in the 50s. I knew I belonged in there, you know, but I wasn't going in. And then I finally got in and, you know, got an act together, had a partner in college. We did a little skit thing, which to me was fun. But once I started doing stand-up, I said, oh, this is great. I don't have to audition, really. I've got an audience right here. I can say what I want for five minutes, whatever it is, and, and I stuck with it, and then I quit a little bit, then I got in there, and of course, that was the early 80s in New York, and now we look back at this, the golden age, a real comedy boom at that time. This is after the great success of Steve Martin, and Robin Williams, and Richard Pryor, and George Carlin, all these new comics, this new generation of, of comedians influenced a lot of us young people, and we started going to the improv, and I was able to make a living at it. And since then, I've done everything but on Broadway. So the the initial goal is not accomplished. Well, something tells me you're going to get there. But, you know, I've been thinking about your your talent and skill as a stand-up interacting with the audience. And, of course, this is a thousand miles from, you know, where are you from, what do you do for a living, sir, whatever. But actually elevating that sort of interaction to an art form. Among other things, that takes really, really careful listening. And, and good acting, obviously, requires you know, very careful listening. So so how does the listening you do on a stand-up stage compare with the listening you do on a soundstage while uh, making a, a film or a TV show? It's a different discipline, and obviously, but uh, the thing I loved about, uh, you know, getting into the crowd or working with the crowd, that happened like when I would MC in New York. I got good at stand-up, and I was, you know, sometimes I'd get a heckler, and or something would happen, I'd have some interaction. And sometimes in you know, when you're an MC, it, it does boil down to, hey, where are you folks from? See the show, and someone was, you know, from somewhere, and then you riff on that. But it's, it's kind of interesting when you do a, a film or a television show, it, you know, it's kind of written out. 
except for a few things I've done. I've been allowed to improvise a little bit. So it's a different discipline. Um, but the great thing about film or television, if it doesn't work, you get to do it all. And that, I love that. Now, it doesn't make it easier. Yeah, as far as the result you want, for a comedian, you know, you get to do it again. You you get into a state where, at least I have now, where I can relax and just be very present. And I, what has helped me with that, I think what has really helped me with my acting and my auditioning in the last three or four years is I've been meditating every day. Not TM, just regular meditation. And to like three of my friends, about three or four years ago at the time, three friends from different areas of my life started meditating or started talking about meditating. And I said, well, listen, I'm hearing this from different sources, different people I know, not the same group. I go, this is, you know, take this as a sign, give it a shot. And I started it, and I really think it's made me a better person. It's made me deal with stress, anger, which I, I do have a few anger issues, and just everything in my life. I think it's made me healthier. And certainly, in auditions, makes me more present. And, you know, I continue the acting, and with this Mad Men gig, uh, I just feel very connected. And, of course, I've watched the show many, many times. Uh, I've watched the episodes many times over for, for the last six, seven years. So when I got there, I felt like I know these people, not the actors, but I know this situation. And I see how these actors are on television. They listen. They're not acting. You know, they're going, well, I think I'll go down to the store. You know, it's yeah. people get so out of themselves when they audition. You know, unless you're doing, you know, you have to do an accent or play a grandfather, or play someone from, you know, a serial killer, something that's outside of what you realistically can do. Um, I just got into a state was very relaxed. That's and, great. And I think that's really helped me. Well, so we're just kind of in our final moments speaking with Alan Havian, animal advocate, comedian, and actor who portrays Lou Avery on Mad Men. We, uh, they're uh, heading to their mid-season finale this Sunday on that show. So, yeah, let's talk a little bit more uh, about uh, Mad Men. I-, I know you're probably allowed to say little or nothing about what will happen. but let's Well, what happens at the end of Mad Men, big alien attack. <laughs> I see. I thought there was something in a diner and then it went to black, but I, I could be confused. But um, so... I can only talk about episodes that have aired. Yeah. No, it's I figured. Not disclosure on it. I mean, yeah. No, I know. Well, Matthew Weiner. I mean, I mean, even the the, the little uh, sort of promo trailer things that they run at the end of the show seem <laughs> specifically designed to not give you any information. So you, know, um, you watch. You go, oh my God, someone left the butter out. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'll tune in for that. Excellent. But uh, but seriously, I mean, okay. Let's not talk about episodes then, because we really can't. Or we, I guess, we could talk about some that did air. But, but I mean, certainly, well, we talk, definitely talk about anyone that that have air. Yeah. Go ahead, because this is really helping with my acting too the whole secrecy well yeah i'll bet yeah but i mean the thing is just generally from from collectively the episodes you're on i mean lou avery is 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 something kind of of a you know complex dick though he seemed nicer on sunday's episode he was really nice uh, or sweet to, to peggy but i mean he's tended to be a pretty kind of irascible cuss so he must be i'm guessing really fun to play yeah he is and i don't i remember when i got the part and i said to matt i said he's kind of a jerk he said no Lou's a great guy. And it was the best direction I got because, you know, people, for fans that watch the show, and they certainly have an emotional investment in the show and these characters. And I come along, and I take the top guy's place. And I come in, and nobody really, you know, likes me. And I think the fans just kind of immediately, well, this isn't, 
Don Draper. And he's looking at the way he's treating these people we love. But uh, I, you know, it's fun to play low because I know I was around in 69. I was like 15 years old. And this is kind of, I knew these guys who were, we didn't call it old school back then, just the way they were, the World War II generation, the, you know, the, the guys who went through the Depression and the war, and, and uh, then they get into the 60s and they see these, you know, long-haired uh, little snots, uh, you know, uh, burning the flag and, and protesting the war. And that was just the attitude of a lot of guys, regular guys, middle-aged men, in that period of time, they just didn't understand. And uh, so Lou, to me, is just, hey, there's a great guy, comes in, he saves the day. Apparently this Draper guy was a drunk. He screwed up. They need me in the last minute. They brought me in in season six right at the end during Thanksgiving weekend. And then when season seven started, oh, this guy got the job. And that was uh, I, that was pretty exciting to come back. I had no idea. They were going to bring me back. Oh yeah, okay. Because I was certainly I was curious because you know watching t- sort of towards the end of the last season, it was like hey, there's Alan Havy and there's a you know a little bit here and on the elevator there, and I thought wow, how come there's not more Havy? Just you know because I was ha- happy and excited to see you. And then this season kicks in, it's like wow, there's there's your Alan Havy. Yeah, yeah. It was like so to be on my favorite show. I was talking to Slattery during season six. I said you could have told me at six years old. I was going to be on the honeymooner, and I wouldn't have been more excited than I am right now. So it was exciting, but I realized I had a job to do, and I didn't come in there as a fan. I just came in there, okay, great, I got the job. You can't tell anybody. I mean, it was weird. For seven months, I lied to everyone except my wife. And the reason I had to lie because I had to cancel gigs. And I, you know, my niece got married. I had to fly back early. So I would say to people, oh, I got an independent movie, and then I got a... Uh, a commercial, and what, why didn't you do, come to New York and do this? Well, I've, I've got some acting work I have to do. It was kind of vague about it. So, and then people, some people said, hey, you doing Mad Men? Because it was on last year. I said, no, I haven't heard. And they would go, oh, you know, that kind of thing. But keeping that secret, I mean, for my best friends, you lie to everybody. Yeah. You misdirect everybody. When I showed up on set or for a table read or, you know, certainly to work, it was kind of like, oh, this is the, the safe area. We all have something in common, which is we're working on this together. We can talk about it. And certainly people knew that the other actors were in it because they'd been in it for some of them three to seven years. People had no idea that the wise ass at the elevator was coming back. And I think that was really important to Matt and the writers because you know, keeping it a secret is really the commercial value of the show. Well, he seems particularly concerned with that, if not obsessed with that. But and I think it serves the show, ultimately. It does, and it serves the fans more, not knowing what's going on. And this day of the information age and TMZ and stuff leaking out, they've kept huge secrets. I mean, you're talking 60 to 80 people that know the secret in this town, and then you have the, the guest stars coming in for an episode or seven, or the co-stars who might come in and have three or four lines, which I did in season six. I had like five lines in one scene and like two lines in the next. But they've got to keep that secret. You know, they, they sign a you know an NDA, non-disclosure agreement. So it's a legal document. Yeah. And once you sign that, you realize that, hey, this is serious. And so in this age where people, you know, are totally blathering about every move they make, the fact that it's been kept a secret is so much fun. And I think concentrates an actor's focus on uh, the show. At least it do- did for me. Yeah, and you make a really good point too that that 
It's good for, for, for the actors and for the show. But it is, much as you know, we might claim otherwise, it is good for the viewer. Because otherwise, yeah, I mean, if you pay attention to almost anything on social media, kind of know what's happening behind the scenes here on this show. And, you know, this is likely to happen in the next season of this show. And uh, you're absolutely devoid of that information about Mad Men. So you come and sit every Sunday and just it, it unfolds as it should. And very few people have asked me, hey, what's, what's going to happen? And then, and then they go, wait, don't tell me. Like that. And yeah. Not that I would, but I think, and of course, with this, what they call the golden age of television, with the Sopranos and Breaking Bad and Justified and now Game of Thrones, uh, you know, people are digging television in a way. And you and I grew up in the television age. I did. You're younger than me. Yeah, not much. In the 60s. Yeah. And uh, I never looked forward to television, even as a kid, the way I do now. You know, it's, yeah. it, it's an interesting dynamic. Of course, with the, the technology, you know, HDTV, it's just so beautiful. Well, just any random Sunday night is chock full of uh, great shows, much less uh, stuff on other nights of the week. So it's, uh, yeah. We got Monday, we got Louie. Tuesday, this great new show, Fargo, is out. And, of course, Sunday nights on AMC, uh, you know, Breaking Bad and Mad Men, when they were going back and forth, oh, God, it was heaven. And uh, so, Alan, um, I, I want to quickly hit a few things because we're sort of, I kept you way longer than I promised. And uh, right, so, I'm good, man. I'm up. You got me up. Yeah, yeah. No, but let me just say one thing. Uh, you're, I'm milking the cows right now. <laughs> okay, excellent. They're back, we're swinging back to the we animal part. we wild cows in Santa Monica. They're, not, they're unharmed. We yeah. The, qu- the weird thing is when you take them to the movies. Yeah. But, um, like, by the way, if you're an animal listening and you, and you feel threatened, come out to Santa Monica. Safe, safe haven, yeah. If you, if you go to a place in Santa Monica, you want to get a cup of water, just say, tell, tell them it's for your dog outside. Give it to you. No problem. They won't give it to a human all the time, but they'll give it for your dog. You got to know how to play it. So your website is Alan Haby, A-L-L-A-N, Haby.com. The organization we talked about the most uh, deeply is Friends of Shelter Animals. That's friendsofshelteranimals.org. .org. Of course, you got to spell it out. And uh, the mid-season finale, of course, of Mad Men is this uh, Sunday. For anybody who might be in New York in uh, about a week and a half, uh, it'll be at the Comedy Cellar May 30th through June 1st, and if you happen to be listening online and maybe be in Lake Tahoe mid-June or so, June 18th through 22nd at the Improv at Harvey's, and uh, now, uh, even though we're way over, there's a caller that's been holding for at least 20 minutes or oh, so, so yeah, I'm going to put them on. I have no idea what they have in mind, but we'll just try it. Hi, you're on Talking Animals with Alan Havey. Thanks for your patience. Do you have a quick question or comment for Alan? If it's me, yes. I was trying to uh, do towards earlier show oh okay <laughs> uh, okay well i'm sorry i can't really help you with the earlier show i thought you were holding a speak to alan i'm yeah. so sorry thank thanks for your call though <laughs> okay well yeah, that that's the, that's the beauty in. of live radio right folks okay so uh alan thank you so much for uh making the time to uh to join me on talking animals bright and early your time again and uh we'll look forward to mad men this sunday and then when it comes back for the final final uh, seven i guess right yeah yeah I, I i hope i'm on i will have to wait and see if right I'm on no, no, I wasn't trying to crack you, uh, you know. know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, you were. Okay, I was, You're actually. You're trying to work me like a poodle. <laughs> that's right. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Alan, thank you very much. Had a great time, Duncan. All right, thank take you. care, man. Thank you. In just a few moments, we'll give away a copy of The Eels, new album, The Cautionary Tales, of Mark Oliver Everett, and name that animal tune. Uh, right now, let's uh, hear a, uh, a, a piece by Bill Burr to step into the comedy corner. Let's uh, yeah, do that right now. Four days later, the dog's laying at the guy's feet, all right? He's rubbing her belly. She's reaching up, playing with his goatee. And he goes, go ahead, have a, have a seat. 
why don't you, uh, why don't you uh, take me through your day with this dog? Immediately, I started getting like this first 48 vibe, right? <laughs> like they're coming at me. So I got like defensive. I'm like, what do you mean? I take it for a hike every morning. He goes, that's good, that's good. Anything, you know, special happen on the hike? I'm like, well, you know, I don't know. She takes it, I pick it up. It's like, all right, easy. <laughs> you play any games with her? I go, yeah, at the end of the hike. I let her, I let her, you know, for reward for going on the hike, I let her run up the stairs by herself. I go, go on, Cleo. I let her run up the stairs, and I count five, 1,000, and then I run up there, and then we start wrestling. Put her in a headlock, sweep her front legs, ah, right? But her tail's wagging, you know? She's not growling. I go, that's a good thing, right? He's like, no, it's horrible. I'm like, why? He goes, you just taught your dog to claim the house and then fight for it every day after the hike. No wonder this thing's trying to attack the mailman, you know? So then I got upset. I'm like, wait a minute, dude, you're telling me like I can't even play with my dog? He's like, no, you can play with it, but you gotta bring that energy back down. The problem is, is you keep amping this thing up, getting that Mike Singletary look on his face. Then by the time you walk out, doesn't matter if you're relaxed, mentally the dog is like walking through the tunnel at the Rose Bowl, like, this is what we play for! Somebody hit somebody! That was Bill Burr with a piece called Dog Trainer. I'm Duncan Strauss. We're going to quickly uh, hit a couple of news, uh, animal news and announcements, and then we'll uh, get into uh, Name That Animal Tomb, where you can have a chance to win copy of the new eels album so quickly a couple elephant related things and no i it doesn't necessarily just reflect my elephant obsession but locally and nationally there was pictures and video that went viral of an elephant wading in the water off north reddington beach just down the road a piece in pinellas county so that was quite striking and turns out story isn't necessarily all that great behind it as you might imagine but uh the the, the elephant was there for a beach party a woman had uh, hired and gotten permission i guess hired an elephant to be at her 60th birthday celebration so but again it's not hard to find uh, some pictures including some uh, you know selfies and other video of this elephant just kind of lounging in the water there so and a related note david balding the producer who adopted an elephant uh, dies uh, at 75 is the headline of the New York Times obituary. David Balding, a producer of Broadway and off-Broadway plays who may have uh, best known as a circus showman who acted as a parent to an elephant that on May 9th in Weldon Spring. He was 75. He was the uh, kind of centerpiece of a documentary called One Lucky Elephant about his relationship with Flora, the orphaned uh, baby uh, African elephant he bought and more or less adopted in 1984. As a way to sort of tie these together, at that in that documentary near the beginning, it said, uh, I wanted an elephant, when he was uh, sort of defining, uh, explaining why this happened, he said, I wanted an elephant all my life. So, and he got one. So quickly, some local things coming up. 18th Annual Scratch My Back Benefit Concert for Friends of Hills County Animal Services. It's going to be this Sunday, May 25th at Skipper's Showtime, 5 p.m. And you can find out more by going to skipperssmokehouse.com. Our good friends at the Animal Coalition of Tampa continue to rally after uh, falling victim to that horrible uh, arson fire a few weeks back. Uh, So they have now further extended their clinic hours now that they're back up and running on some basis. It's 9 a.m. to 3 p.m., Monday through Saturday. It's walk-in, no appointment necessary. The clinic location is 1719 West Lemon Street in Tampa. You can find out more by going to AC Tampa. That's probably all we're going to have time for today. So let's, uh, let's get into uh, to name that animal tune. Again, the, uh, we're offering as a prize uh, a copy of the new Eels album. Cautionary Tales of Mark Oliver Everett. To the first person, calls 813-239-9663 and correctly identifies 
Animal Tune. It's named that Animal Tune. I'm talking animals. Looks like we have some folks who may know. Hi, you're on Talking Animals. Can you name that animal tune? Honky Cat. That's right. <laughs> Yay. What is your first name? It is Malayaka. What is it, Malayaka? Yes. Okay, I'm going to put you on hold to get your information and send you off a, a copy uh, of the new Eels album, The Cautionary Tales of Mark Oliver Ever. Congratulations. Thank you. All right, folks, we have a winner, and we have just about reached the end of this edition of Talking Animals. So I hope you'll uh, tune back in next Wednesday at 9 a.m. for another edition. Everything uh, critical happens at TalkingAnimals.net. Uh, archives and podcasts of past Talking Animals programs, links to the Talking Animals Facebook page or Twitter feed and more. You can also subscribe there to our email newsletter to find out about our guests and uh, things a few days beforehand and just other news from the Talking Animals world. So... That's uh, all found at TalkingAnimals.net. I'm Duncan Strauss. Thanks very much for listening. Have a good week. Be kind to animals. Be kind to others. Be kind to yourself. Thanks so much for listening. Take care now. WMNF, Tampa, Brandon, Clearwater, Wiki Wachi, and beyond. NPR News is coming up momentarily. <laughs>